0: Once again, thank you so much for being here, especially given the bit of a surprise weather out there, but hopefully that'll slack off here in just a moment. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Leviticus and chapter 6. And this morning we want to look at verses 14 through 18. Leviticus 6, verses 14 through 18. We are certainly living in a time in which... Language is being misused, Uh, words do not seem to carry the same meaning as they once did, and it would appear that individuals are on the hyperbolic Olympics to try to outdo each other with using more shocking and shocking languages and descriptors for things. Words have meanings. And meanings matter but in our culture and society right now it seems that that is less and less the case and so for instance someone comes to a party and the guy says dude why'd you bring two bags of chips and he says well i brought zesty cheese doritos and cool ranch doritos because people like both and i thought i'd cover all my bases and the guy says dude you're a genius Now, it used to be that in order to be a genius, you had to discover E equals MC squared or send a rocket into space. But now, because you brought two different flavors of chips, you can be labeled a genius. And this is the day and age in which we live, where words don't seem to carry the same meanings as they once did. There is no question that we are at a time of great turmoil in our country turmoil and perhaps some degree of crisis, which has ratcheted up even this week. And words have been spoken and words have been used, and that has caused issues. But as we come to our text this morning, I do not think that it is hyperbole or unnecessary exaggeration. We say that God alone is holy And we are going to investigate this concept of that which is hallowed. In our text, as we've already been introduced to previously in the book of Leviticus, there are certain things, places, people, items, that are designated as holy. And above all else, God is holy. Now, we use the adjective holy in front of other words as an expression of surprise. And so in some ways in our culture, we've also maybe downplayed this word and this concept. But I hope this morning that it can be returned to us in some measure. God alone is holy. That word can only appropriately be applied to him. He alone is set apart. He alone is wholly other. He alone is transcendent. He alone is the one that we should struggle to find more and more adjectives to describe. And our calling as followers of him is to gradually consistently be becoming the same peter says in first peter 1 16 be holy god says as i am holy but god alone is holy that is a unique designation for him but he has called us to that same standard to that same reality and through jesus christ as we have just sung He has enabled us to be that, and yet it is sad by times when we forget that calling that is on our lives and substitute that calling for other callings. Our main calling then as believers is to be holy to be becoming holy as God is holy, and to be calling all of those around us in our sphere of influence to that same reality. That is our mission. That is our calling. In our marriages, we are called to be holy, to represent marriage as God says it should be, and to display God's holiness through that relationship. In our relationships between children and parents, we are called to be holy and to reflect the character of God in those relationships. In our workplaces, we are called to be holy and to reflect the character of God in those relationships, whether we are employers or employees. In every sphere of our lives, our greatest calling, our ultimate calling is to point people to who God is, to be becoming more like him and calling other people to the same through Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. And yet by times, we find that we spend a lot more time and energy on lesser callings, not unimportant callings but lesser callings, as if those callings are what we are ultimately called to. I recently wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition Canada, a deeper fellowship, a deeper freedom, sorry, and a richer fellowship. And in that, I use this illustration. As Christians, What if, today, everyone in your sphere of influence changed their mind and saw everything the way you do? So they looked at all your previous posts over the last week or two or month or year, and they come to you and say, you're right. I voted for the wrong person. I held to the wrong views on masks and vaccines and all of these things. I was wrong on all of these things, and you were right. And what if every single person, every friend on Facebook, everybody in our sphere of influence all changed their mind on all these secondary things to match our position? And they said, you're brilliant. You saw it and nobody else did. I'm so sorry. I now see things the way you did. They all change. But please, Grace Baptist Church, understand this. If they do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and they do not hold God as holy, they can change their mind on all of those things and still die and go to hell. Our primary calling is not political. Our primary calling is not even to the nebulous concept of freedom, as important as that is. Our calling is much higher. Our calling is much greater. Our calling is to be holy as God is holy through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, and to call everyone that we know to that. If that is the case, regardless of our politics, regardless of these secondary debates and discussions, we will begin to reflect the character of God. And only then is true change and true transformation possible. At the center of the nation of Israel is the tabernacle. It is the hub of their life. And whether they are wandering in the wilderness or as they move into the promised land, and whenever they set up camp, The tabernacle is in the center of it all, and it fairly screams to them, through all of the symbolism that we've looked at and the symbolism that we'll continue to look at, God is holy, and that is your calling. As the nation of Israel, you are not to engage in the practices, attitudes, speech, and cultural things of the nations around you because you are set apart. You are a peculiar people you are to be holy you are not to engage yourself in the debates and the discussions around you primarily and ultimately but instead you are to be a shining light a light that is out from under the bushel a city that is set on a hill, a light on a hill that just shines all around and fairly screams out to the surrounding nations, this is what God looks like. And that is our calling as Grace Baptist Church. That calling has never changed. When God called this assembly together in the early 70s, his calling was the same as it is now in the early 2020s. Be holy as I am holy. Don't get off message. Don't chase down tangential things. Don't get shaken by things that seem to shake us and about which we are rightly concerned. No, your goal and your mission has never changed. Be holy as I am holy. Call individuals to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because that alone is our hope. That is our calling. And that is what we need to spend our time on. And I pray that that has been what we have consistently been doing. We don't change our sermon series, we don't change our message. We understand that the time is short. And so, Sunday in and Sunday out, we want to proclaim the Word of God faithfully every single week and throughout the week. This is our calling, this is our hope. And so, as we come into verses 14 through 18, yet again, this is the second offering of the five that were previously described for us. This is the grain offering. But yet again, as we mentioned last Sunday, this is now from the perspective of the priests. As we previously mentioned last Sunday, we are now priests. We are called to... uh, evidence and reflect God's character to those around us all of us now are priests holy to the Lord our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit Paul tells us in first Corinthians and so we are to show a world that desperately needs to know God who God is that is our task that is our goal that is our mission and so here with the grain offering we see this yet again from the perspective of the priest so follow along in with you would as I read Leviticus chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. And this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar, and one shall take from it a handful of the fine flour of the grain offering and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering and burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the rest of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In the court of the tent of meeting they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my food offerings. It is a thing most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat of it, as decreed forever throughout your generations from the Lord's food offerings. Whatever touches them shall become holy." This is the word of God. And so in the first place then, in verses 14 through 15, let us revisit the grain offering, the grain offering revisited. Much of the detail about the grain offering we already saw in Leviticus chapter 2, an entire chapter dedicated to this offering. As mentioned before, this is often offered in connection with an atoning offering, burnt offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, even peace offerings. This is the only bloodless offering of the five, and yet it is no less important. And again, because of its connection to blood offerings, it has the idea of atonement connected with it, even though it alone as itself is not an atoning offering. Notice, if you would, a very important word that is repeated in verse 15 that also wound its way through chapter 2. As the offerer comes with this fine flour or an unleavened bread portion with oil and frankincense, they hand it to the priest, and the priest takes a handful of the flour, adds to it the oil and the frankincense, and offers it as what on the altar in verse 415? A memorial portion. This offering then is a memorial And inasmuch as we walk through Leviticus chapter 2, it's a memorial to remind the worshiper of the holiness of God and of God's relationship with them. It is also a reminder to God on behalf of the worshiper. God, you have said that you are holy, that you are a consuming fire. And yet you have also said that we can approach you. We stand in awe of you as we have just sung. We understand your holiness. We are indeed fearful of you, rightfully so. We recall that when your glory descended on the mount, we could not even approach the base of the mountain. And the thunder and the lightning scared us. We stood back in awe of your power, of your majesty, and yet we stand here only because of your grace. You have prescribed the ways in which we can approach you, and as we approach you in those ways, we have confidence that you will accept us, that you will graciously allow us into your presence. This is, then, a memorial, a remembrance of God's promises. And as we observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the first Sunday of the month, as we mentioned, Jesus Christ himself is the bread of life. He is the grain offering. And it is only because of him that we have any hope of going into God's presence. And the only hope that we have that God's presence does not consume us secondarily notice and remember the prohibited ingredients yeast and honey were not to be used in this offering these individuals that can these sort these condiments or these uh, realities that contaminate the offering that bring death to the offering symbolically were not to be used yeast or leaven a picture of sin because of the contaminating power of it it spreads throughout all of that which it touches and kills that which it touches in a symbolic way and so because it is sinful or a symbol of sim- sin it is not to be a part of this offering this offering is to be completely pure and holy as god is but remember the necessary ingredient from our time together in leviticus 2. salt was always to be added to this offering on top of the oil and the frankincense salt that which is a picture of indestructibility that was a, is a picture of longevity the covenant with god That was made by God unilaterally to Abraham that does not end because of our sinfulness but is steady and stable because of God's holiness and faithfulness. And salt, that which purifies, that was to be added to the offering. And of course, Jesus says now that we are salt. We are his promise. We are the evidence of his promise to a lost and dying world. We are those that are recipients of his grace. God is still purifying people, even in this day and age, even in 2022. What an amazing promise that is. Notice in verses 16 through 18a, the holiness of God. There are three things that we see here. Only the priests can eat this sacrifice. The full offering is brought... And the memorial portion is burned on the altar, together with the oil and the frankincense and the salt. But notice then, the rest of it Aaron and his sons can eat. But only Aaron and his sons. Only the priests. Only those specially designated and set apart, consecrated for the work of God, which we're going to see next Sunday, Lord willing, as they are anointed before God. Only the priests can eat this altar this sacrifice notice that the sacrifice can only be eaten in the tabernacle complex it says that they must eat it in the tent of meeting in the court of the tent of meeting they shall eat it nowhere else this is not something to be taken out of the tabernacle complex they must eat it within the confines of the tabernacle and notice lastly the offering itself twice it said that it is unleavened It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In verse 16, verse 17a, it shall not be baked with leaven. Even the sacrifice itself speaks of holiness. It's not mixed with yeast. It's not mixed with that which contaminates and kills. It is a picture of sinlessness. It is a picture of holiness. And so all throughout this sacrifice, the holiness of God is seen. Notice the necessity of holiness, and I think the key part of this passage, this section, is the back half of verse 18. Whatever touches them shall become holy. Now, this is a difficult passage to interpret, because as it's written, it seems to indicate that if the worshiper touched the portion designated for Aaron and his sons, they could become holy just by touching the flower or the unleavened bread. But we know from Haggai chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, that holiness is not contagious. Holiness cannot be caught, so to speak, from touching something. Holiness can only come from God alone. And so this phrase cannot mean that if you merely touched the offering designated for the priest that you also would become holy. And so there were two options here. For what this can mean either it means one must be holy in order to touch this sacrifice in other words it could be rendered whoever touches them must be holy in other words must be one of the priests a warning that a regular Israelite ought not to touch this grain offering and the portion dedicated to the priest Really, once it left the worshippers' hands, it was not to touch their hands again because the priest and only the priest could offer the memorial portion on the altar and then the priest and only the priest could partake of the rest of it and eat it. Or it could mean that whoever touches them shall become holy in the sense that if someone touches this offering illegitimately, they are touching that which is holy and will be judged for it. In other words, like Uzzah, who saw the Ark of the Covenant as David was bringing it from Shiloh to Jerusalem and it was going to fall off the Ark's cart and so he reaches out and touches that which is holy and to touch God's holiness killed him. That could also be what this phrase means. Either way, the holiness of God is a very serious thing. And somewhere along the line, I think we've lost a sense of it. We've lost a sense of the fear of God. We have pursued lesser things than his holiness. We have spent our energy on secondary things instead of the primary thing to which he has called us on mission. To make disciples of all nations. In other words, to call others to see God as holy and worship Him as such, as we do. And so as we close this morning, we see the holiness of God applied. Never forget in the first place that God's holiness is a fearful thing. Our friend Michael Reeves has written a book, Rejoice and Trembling. I would highly recommend it to all of you. It is a reminder that the God that we serve is a holy God. And if we were to see His holiness, His transcendence, it would impact us. But far too often, we don't recognize His holiness. We do not tremble at His greatness. I think C.S. Lewis captured some of this in his Narnia series. In the second book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the children have just been introduced to Narnia, at least the other three Pevensey children, and they are talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they talk about the hope that they have of the return of Aslan. And Mrs. Beaver, I believe, says, Aslan is a lion. He is not a tame lion, but he is a good lion. A good lion, but a lion nonetheless. And I think whether it is some purported preachers of the gospel who have downplayed who God actually is, perhaps it's because of a generation ago the hellfire and brimstone preaching seem to give way to preaching primarily about God's grace, which had the unfortunate side effect of letting us believe that it doesn't matter who we are and what we do, God will love us anyway. And we hear this in the songs that are sung, and we hear this sometimes in the preaching, and we've lost a sense of God's holiness, God's majesty. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Hell is a real place. God's judgment is a real thing just because he stays his hand of judgment does not mean that we should presume upon his grace. We of all people should know the holiness of God, should walk in that holiness, and should proclaim that holiness to those around us. We should not spend our time in secondary things, confusing the gospel with other concepts. No, the gospel is good news, Precisely because we are bad, and God is gracious, even though he also is holy and righteous and a consuming fire. God's wrath is coming. And if you want to read a description of it, spend some time in the book of Isaiah and in Revelation, particularly chapter 14. As Peter says in 2 Peter, there are those that mock Where is the promise of his coming? And Peter says, it is a foolish thing to mock a holy God. Because when he comes, those that have spent their lives mocking him and living as if he does not exist will find out rapidly that he does. And they are accountable to him. Do not mistake preaching on grace for a lack of preaching on God's holiness and righteousness. But thanks be to God that even though God's holiness is a fearful thing, Jesus is both holy and human. Holy because he is God and human because he incarnated and became one of us. That is our only hope. He is our only hope. And so we can only be holy through him alone. There is hope in the face of God's holiness, when Moses meets God, Yahweh, for the first time, as we read this morning in our Bible reading plan, and there is a bush that is burning, but it is not consumed, and Moses turns aside to see it, and God says from that plant, Moses, Moses, remove your sandals because you are on holy ground. It is a fearful thing to be in the presence of God. The nation of Israel experiences this, as we've said, on the mountain, and now they experience it with God's presence as Shekinah glory in the middle of their encampment. God's presence is in their midst. We should recognize every single moment of every single day that God's presence is in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit, and we live life in His presence. And so as you're about to post that thing on Facebook, ask yourself, Does this promote the holiness of God? And does it point those who will read it to that reality? As you converse with those in your sphere of influence, ask yourself, is my primary motivation to bring glory to God? Or is any of this about glory to me? Have I sacrificed my prime objective, my ultimate goal, my actual mission? for lesser things, good things, but lesser things. Your hope, my hope, and anybody's hope is not a change in legislation, is not a change in the weather, is not a change in the climate, is not a change in any other things, a change in mandates. That is not where our hope lies. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ the righteous. And our calling is to holiness. Be holy. For I am holy. Is that what we have given ourselves to? My prayer is that it is. And my prayer is that that will continue. Are other things important? Yes. Ought we to pray about them? Yes. But can we afford to be distracted from the thing that God has called us to do? No. Because if we're not holy. The individuals who claim to be followers of him. What hope? To the unholy around us have and please understand our holiness is not some badge of superiority our holiness is only deferred holiness from the one who only one who is holy and it is only by his grace and mercy that we are all not consumed and judged in great humility then do we speak the gospel is that what is on our lips is that our message is that our mission Pray that it is this morning as we look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for our time together. And in this passage, once again, we are reminded of the costliness of holiness. We looked at last Sunday the, the order in worship of you, the prescribed reality of it. It is not something where we can just wing it, it is not something to take lightly. There is weight to you, because you are holy, set-apart, transcendent other. There is a diligence here, Father. There is work, a lot of effort expended to preserve your holiness. And there is a reverence, a fear, and an awe. I pray that that has not left us as your people. I pray that our attention and our time is not given to secondary things, important as they may be, but that our time and our attention and our resources are given to primary things. The primary thing is your holiness. Father, may we be careful not to misuse this word or this concept, to lessen it in any way but that we would live every moment of every day in light of the reality that you alone are holy and that because of your son Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf, we are called to be holy and can be holy because of him and only because of him. And in great humility and with great love and compassion in our hearts, our message to those around us who do not yet recognize you nor recognize you as holy and to be worshiped is to call them to that not a change in opinion not a change in politics not a change in their lifestyle primarily and ultimately but a change in their thinking a change in their heart a change from an individual who marks themselves and believes themselves to be god an individual who understands that there is only one God, and we are not you. A call to submit, a call to repent, a call to recognize you and you alone as holy. Father, help us, in Jesus' name, amen.